African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Eleven nineteen Central African Time. You're still listening to African Dialogue with Ms. Pumela Lezondi, standing in for my colleague Benjamin Mushadama today. And remember that you can find us on social media on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One on Twitter. If you want to send us emails, we are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. And on the program today, we're looking at the Human Resource Development Council Summit that took place at the Gallagher Convention Center under the theme Partnership for Skills, a call to action. In studio with me, I have Mr. Ravi Naidu. He is the member of the council. And then on the line, there is Mr. Subandu Dilai, who is the representative of the implementation agency. There's also on the line, Mr. David Mabusela, who is the chief director of artisan development at the Department of Higher Education and Training. Um, Mr. Ravi Naidu, what was then taking place at the summit that took place over the two days? So it was essentially trying to make sure that we we were all, so it it was a summit with a much, much larger group than the normal council, and it's trying to get everyone on the same page, saying these are the imperatives, the national plan, national development plan, uh, this is what we need uh, from skills as a system. Then it's really trying to say, where have we got to thus far? So it is really laying the groundwork. So a lot of the numbers as to the skill situation they laid out. And then, which was very important, then saying the partnerships that can go forward from that. What are some of the things that we can do collectively, having many of the key role players in the room uh, to, to make the changes? So it was going through that, and, it, and the meeting was... I suppose in some ways it's structured in a typical way where you had uh, plenaries and commissions. And at the end, uh, there were in specific areas, and I'll have to see the full report to get all that detail, but um, the, the ones, that the parts I attended of the commissions, they were, they were good way forwards that came out of them where people are saying, look, fine, that's the plan. This is what we're going to uh, essentially over a period of time now work towards jointly. Mm. Um, uh, David Mabusela, as the Department of Higher Education and Training, you are an important part in this. Um, would you say that the skills that were the skills shortages that were identified at the summit are the ones that you would have identified as well uh, yourselves um, as the Department of Higher Education? Yes, certainly. Actually, we are the are the main functionary that identify skill shortages in the country. Now, if you look at the, the, the strategic uh, integrated project, they have identified about 13 critical skills that are needed for those projects to go ahead. Now, what was achieved at the summit, actually, it was actually to put into place now or to remove blockages that have been there 
in terms of artisan development. Obviously, once we remove those blockages, we are then able to to project further skills, to project further right into the future in terms of our demand for 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 for, for skills. Presently, we are to deliver about <coughs> 30,000 30, artisans to annum by 2030. Now, that 30,000 includes that variety of, 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 of skills that have been identified. As I'm saying, already you have about 14 of them within the artisan environment. And those are directed towards, I mean, meeting the, 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 the demand from the strategic infrastructure project of the government. So it was quite really, progress was made in the sense that we are able now to have, to work with information, to to, to plan regarding artisan development with information that is available to us. We're also able now to, 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 to fund learners that want to go for apprenticeship training. The minister recently approved a, a, a grant fund of 150,000 per those that are taking the career of, of, of artisanship. And also, we, we have extended within the HRDC discussion the advantage there is that all the stake, key stakeholders, role players are there and there's common agreement. Yes. And they're on the side of those that are already employed. We've made quite some gain there in the sense that we've also discussed the issue of recognition of prior learning for those that have been practicing yes. as artisans but without any formal uh, recognition for their qualification. We've made quite uh, progress regarding policies and right. strategies that will take us deep into the future in terms of supplying those artisan skills that are demanded by the country instead of importing them. Um, David, I suppose we'll come back to some of those. Um, we'll come back to some of those um, remedies that you're talking about. But you, you spoke about 13 critical skills um, that were identified. Could you just name those critical skills? Yes, I, I can just mention a few that are at the top. You've got, for an example, within the artisan field, you have the, the boiler makers have been identified, welders, electricians, Numbers and, and quite a number of them, mill rights, printers. But then that list, that list is subject to change. It's not a static list. That list is the list that has been produced to actually meet that demand now. Remember, from year to year, from year to year, we then project those numbers. If we reach a stage where the required number is reached, obviously there will be other areas where necessary critical skills will be in demand. So the, 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 the critical list skill is not actually a static list. It's a list that changes according to demand out there. Remember, the demand is linked to a project that is being taken upon within the private sector, even within government, within government expenditure. Remember, I've got about $800 billion that has been budgeted for for our in infrastructure improvement. Mm. So now as those projects go ahead, you'll then have skills revolution wherein you'll have this list of critical skills changing based on what is required yes. in the market.
Yes. But presently, the skills that are critical are those that are sitting. I've just mentioned only the top ones here at the top with regards to artisans, mm. oil makers, welders, electricians, and plumbers. Um, Ravi Naidu, he's talking about changing skills. So how do we then ensure that if the skill that's needed today is no longer um, a critical skill in future, how do we then ensure that we don't have a redundancy of skills, like um, too many boilers in about two years' time, for example, and with too many people with that skill but not finding employment at that particular time in future? That's a great question because, in a way, we know one thing for certain, that we are going to have a redundancy of skills because uh, the world economy is changing. So the types of jobs uh, that we have today will be different to the jobs in the future. And even the sectors are going to change. You can just see it with technology. So um, many jobs are going to be changed in the future as technology gets integrated into the workplace. And, and, and jobs that we have now, there'll be far fewer of those or, or maybe no jobs at all. Think of all the intermediary things that now you can get online with an app. You know, um, so, so there's going to be quite a lot of uh, those, those uh, changes. What the council is doing... Um, um, can I ask you to hold that thought? We'll come back to it um, straight after a short break that we, we have to take right now. Channel Africa is turning 50 this year. And to celebrate this milestone, Channel Africa invites you, our listeners, to send us anniversary messages. It's simple. Just call us on this number, plus 2783-913-3000, and follow the prompts to leave a short message. We would love to hear from you, and we are looking forward to hear your well wishes. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. Eleven nineteen Central African Time. You're still listening to African Dialogue with Ms. Pumela Lezondi. Standing in for my colleague Benjamin Mushadama today. And remember that you can find us on social media on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One on Twitter. If you want to send us emails, we are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. And on the program today, we're looking at the Human Resource Development Council Summit that took place at the Gallagher Convention Center under the theme Partnership for Skills, a call to action. In studio with me, I have Mr. Ravi Naidu. He is the member of the council. And then on the line, there is Mr. Sobandu Dilai, who is the representative of the implementation agency. There's also on the line, Mr. David Mabusela, who is the chief director of artisan development at the Department of Higher Education and Training. Um, Ravi Naidu, you are still um, talking about the future where there's going to be a redundancy 
competency of skills. And you're saying um, technology and uh, and technology disruption um, is going to cause that. Yes. So so you, so that's definitely going to happen. So let me say my day job is with the city of Johannesburg leading all the economic programs. So we see the sectors coming through because we look at the technology that's coming in in the global cities. And so a lot of the intermediary jobs, the things that um, require calculations and uh, passing one thing from one person to another are in a sense, in a sense being uh, in line for being replaced. Um, the kind of jobs which are very specialized or which have person-to-person requirements where you have to see a person. Those ones have a better chance of surviving. But a number of jobs and sectors are going to be changed. So I think it's important from a council perspective, and that's a bigger issue that we can discuss, uh, to, to be alive to those changes because you want to prepare people for that. And I think that's why in education and skills, there's a lot of focus on critical thinking. In other words, not so much the job, it's the ability to think because that job may not be there, but you can then adapt to a new job. What the council is doing um, structurally is we, we have developed a labor market information model. And the labor market information model will do what uh, I think uh, it was David uh, or was it Subantu was saying with the, with the particular skills. So they're saying we need uh, 500,000 new technical skills in these sectors, but we're only producing 180,000 out of the technical colleges. So there's a deficit of 320,000. Therefore, we need to increase our programs because we already know those are numbers. But at the same time that we're doing that, we have to make sure the people who are given this to, who are actually receiving this training, have the flexibility to adapt should the technology now mean those jobs are different. Yes. So, so it's two things. You're looking at the future. At the same time, you're trying to deal with the gaps in the present. Yes. Um, Mr. Delay, do you think that there is that capacity to teach critical thinking? Yes. Um, in, in, in fact, um, Mr. Gondi, once you put together the, the, what I call the think tank, and given it, it is the forum that the, the platform rather that the HRP Council presents, you find that you're able to get to the details that you ordinarily would not have. And within that, you get to the detail of the solution. You are able to synthesize what the problems are. And uh, just to make an example, if you consider the work that we were seized with, that of the maritime sector skills, um, by the time we've got the industry in the room, they told us that whilst you are able to produce artisans in the general sense, but the actual expertise that's required for the maritime industry requires you to take that basic skill that you've produced and add um, a few specialized elements, and then you end up with an appropriate skill for the industry that you want to get to. And so we're finding that um, the more we get talk, the more we get to, to, to talk to people who are specialized, which is um, what uh, we had hoped to achieve by the HRC Council. We are able to get to solutions because um, by and large we do have solutions in the room. Um, it is issues of capacity that can be solved um, by partnerships or issues of expertise that again can be solved by partnerships. And so um, if you ask me, we still have a skills problem there's no way of denying that. 
But if we continue to find the solutions and get the right people into the room and give them the right platform and give uh, and, and get coordinated mechanisms, then we are able to provide the solutions that we require as a country. Mm. Um, and are those solutions easy to come in the maritime industry that you find yourself in? Um, nothing is easy. It is as easy as all of that. Because there, there are always uh, balancing acts that we need to do. We were seized with the, as I'm saying, within the maritime industry, the availability of skills. And just as you think you're solving that, then you get to confine issues of transformation and, and, and a whole lot of, of other um, nuances that you have to deal with. But um, the, the, the beauty about having people engaged is that there's always a happy medium. And I think um, it, it is not correct to say that government, industry, um, academia, we can't find each other. We just need to respect each other's point of view. And it is only then that you are able to find a proper way forward that makes everybody as happy as they can. All right. Um, at home, if you live in the United States of America and you're always on the go, remember that you can just dial 605-471-711. That is 605-471-711. That's where you can then be able to listen to Channel Africa if you are in the United States of America and are always on the go. You can listen to us on your mobile phone there. Um, now, coming back to um, David Mabusela in the Department of Higher Education and Training, we are hearing um, our other guests saying that there will be a skills shortage. Um, are we then, as uh, we're promoting TVET colleges and we're saying that young people need to go and get those skills in TVET colleges, are we then not maybe going ahead of ourselves because these are skills that they probably are not going to be able to use um, in the near future? Have we thought about that in the Department of Higher Education and Training? It's actually not a question of, uh, about the skills that will be in shortage well, actually, in that quagmire, uh, rather skills that are going to be redundant as opposed to skills that will be um, that uh, we're going to be short of in future. Well, what will actually prevent that is that the minister annually by annually produces the, the national critical skills list, the list, the the, 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 the list of skills that at that given moment in time in our economic uh, development. Are, are needed, and and therefore it's a question of of of, of monitoring the, the supply side and the demand side with respect to the skills requirement at that point in time. For an example, as I have said, that present present we already know with regards to artisan development that these are the skills that are needed for government expenditure to actually proceed without us importing skills. Okay. Now, way down the line, that requirement is going to change. Now, what we did with respect to our strategy, <clears throat> we are revolutionizing our, our, our artisan approach in that we are targeting TVET colleges to actually play a very central role with regards to, to, to artisan skills development and also the role of the employer with respect to the placement of learners is very critical, very critical, as the minister emphasizes, to say we need employers to actually give these learners placement with regards to apprenticeship training. Now, within the HRTC, 
uh, environment or summit. All these participants are there, and these blockages that retard the, 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 the rapid acceleration of skills production are, are activated. And us as implementing agencies, we, we then set strategies and tactics to actually unblock those those blockages that have been identified. The critical one that has been identified with regards to artisan development, it is the placement of the learners in, in, in the employee. Granted, we understand that it, uh, throughout the world, economies, they have the upturn and the downturn. But our campaigns, we have also the campaign what, which we call the decade of the artisan, which is driven by the deputy minister. Uh, Mr. Manana. That campaign actually targets uh, 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 talking to employers to actually take these learners up, train them, provide training space for them so that they can become entry-level artisans. As you're talking about the decade of the artisan, that's um, that's 10 years. But when you do your research into the skills that are going to be needed in future, how much into the future um, do you look into in the Department of Higher Education and Training? With regards to artisan development, it's going to be deep into the future. Because if you look at our target presently, we are talking of being able to produce at least 30,000 30, artisans per annum by 2030. And presently we are at an average of about 14,000. You can see the the big gap that is there in terms of our artisans being there, almost 16,000 difference. And therefore within this projection of 10 years, it's actually going to go beyond that if you look at the the, the, the government expenditure in terms of infrastructure. Government has allocated, I mean, trillions I mean, of friends with respect to developing our infrastructure so that the economy can thrive. Actually, it's a two-way system. Once the economy thrives, you then have this event, a graduate that at some point qualify as artisan getting jobs. Within, within this environment of, yes. of, 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 of infrastructure development, all right, sure. Um, Ravi, the Department of Higher Education is talking about um, 30,000 um, artisans per annum mm-hmm. um, until 2030. Right. Um, do we need 30,000 um, artisans per annum by, uh, until 2030? Um, by 2030. Okay, by 2030. Well, yeah. if, I, if I can just come in on that. I mean, I, I do think we need a lot more artisans than we have. We have a shortage. And uh, to some extent, you always need people who can do the technical work, the the, tra- the, the, the art, the, 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 the plumbing, the wiring, the electrical work. The, uh, and, uh, so, so, and, and there's a shortage. So economically, there's a shortage of about 700,000 skilled people. And therefore, uh, these, this is what companies want and can't find. And then they have to have their own programs and look at how to do it. And we see it, like I said, in Johannesburg as well. So uh, the hundreds of thousands of people that come from the technical schools, therefore, if they meet those requirements, there are those jobs waiting for them and the new jobs that will come after that. So I think there is definitely need, and that's why you have to match these, because you don't want the colleges to be doing training that is not needed by the companies or the companies to be unable to take for their projects because they don't have the people at the ground level who can do that work. So... 
So I, I do think there, there is a there is a deep need, and the and the focus on uh, vocational and uh, technical training is very important. But if I can just read to you the list of sectors that are going to grow. Sure. Okay. So what's going to grow in the future? These are going to be the future industries. Mobile internet and cloud technology, processing and big data, renewable energy sources, internet of things, sharing economy, robotics and auto and uh, robotics and automatic transport, artificial intelligence, advanced manufacturing and 3D printing, and biotech. Uh, you, because that's very, that's all very high tech. Um, uh, but is that in the South African and the African context? Um, are we not looking at, um, for example, when you're mentioning the Internet of Things, robotic, uh, robotics, um, artificial intelligence, are we not probably taking research that's done in the, in the developed world and, and bringing it to, to the African continent? Yes, and that's a good thing, but no, not totally. So let me give you so. So, for example, we will need to build lots of bridges and roads and fix the dams and all. And those need the skills which we will have on our existing uh, presidential infrastructure coordinating commission uh, list of skills. That's the national plan for, for infrastructure. And we have a huge skill uh, uh, backlog of infrastructure. So that's the present and the next 20 years. Mm. So, yes, then we'd only get too focused on what's the rest of the world. But remember, the rest of the world is already here. Mm. So for the new things that are coming out in the private sector, the old way of producing, so even now with housing, we are looking at, do we need to build a house or should we print them? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a real, a real challenge we're having now because we don't want to print them because we'd rather have the jobs building. Yes. But the rest of the world is moving in the direction of printing. Yes. So we are already engaging with that, that world. So, uh, yes, we will focus, we must focus on our existing backlogs, but you have to at the same time be aware these changes are already being integrated into all of the processes of all the companies, including the South African companies which are global, into how they do things. So, if you can bridge both worlds, the, the one with the, with the existing skills and the way the world is going, mm-hmm. it's the best. So, so, so the state programs are, need to be quite modern and 21st century in that regard. So you're training people to say, look, even if your industry were to change in that way, you can switch. Mm. Um, Mr. Delay. Can, can I come in there? <laughs> okay, go, go, okay uh, go for it, David. Sorry, sorry to, to just budget. Okay, go for it, David. And perhaps um, that is the reason that um, we're taught that um, the maritime industry in South Africa in particular, and maybe in Africa in general, is positioned quite well for not so high-tech, but specialized nonetheless um, 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 job creation. If you look at uh, the world trade, um, 80% um, of, of, of world trade moves uh, over the oceans. And if you come to Africa, uh, almost 90%, and in the case of South Africa, 95%. Now, all the um, iron ore and, and coal and everything that you take out of the country and all the cars and um, um, TVs and, and all the high-tech equipment comes in by containers. Now, to support that trade, you need world shipping. And uh, at the height of the uh, world economic um, um, boom, you were requiring 250,000 Now, where it is uh, proper where, where it, it appeals for South Africa is that those 200 uh, over 200,000 citizens can be employed by any country that's able to provide.
provide for that shortage. And um, South Africa then, we said, why can't we position ourselves in that market? Very much the same like what the Philippines have done, which today derives more than 15% of their GDP from seafaring only. Because um, once they go out there, they earn in, in dollars or in foreign currency and they repatriate that money. And uh, this is where we had said we wanted to play. Now, you, you still, as a South Africa, um, we have a, a whole lot of, of points that go for us. Um, firstly, the time zone is, is quite helpful. We, uh, if you are in South Africa, uh, you are able to catch the working day in the U.S. and the working day in the Far East. We speak uh, very good English. We've got a good education system. We are the Rainbow Nation, which apparently is quite appealing because in one sheet you can get up to a few different nationalities. And apparently um, South Africans are very, very tolerant of such dynamics. And so we thought um, this is exactly where we need to be playing as a country. Now, we obviously needed to, to be able to ramp up and produce the numbers that um, mm. uh, uh, the general shipping industry requires. Because when we went into in, in London, um, we had a, a, a whole lot of, of um, employers gathered there and we presented our case. They said, well, we're generating too little numbers. And that's what informed the numbers that we are saying we need to be producing if we're going to be competing. Mm-hmm. And so um, there is a, a, a great deal of, of participation, and, and we think that the system is now in place, and the quality is right. Uh, we just need to be able to ramp up numbers without losing the quality. And to answer the question that was being said by my colleague earlier, that uh, there's going to be redundancy, um, the, we're fortunately sitting in a situation where we know we're training for the world market. And um, in time, we're beginning to get shipping companies giving us their projections to say, well, um, I'm going to take this number next year and the, this number the following year, um, give and take any adjustments that they would like to make. And so we, we thought that um, right from the onset, it helps us to have industry um, plugged in as well as the academia, so that as we produce, we know that the demand is there, so that the uptake of the skills you're producing is, is, is addressed. Mm. Um, David, there's an argument that's being brought here um, that we need skills that are going to answer to technologies that are going to be used in future, as opposed to skilling people for the sake of getting jobs. Um, wh- what's your take on that? Look, um, in, in our view, uh, yes, there is a, there's merit to that. But remember, once you've got a skill, you always are able to, 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 to keep adjusting and modifying. Um, because in all fairness, the base skills are generally the same. An engineer is an engineer. We all go to engineering school and learn basic engineering principles. It's when you start um, adding all the other aspects that then you need to be specializing. So that training, I don't think it should stop because even the, 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 that future growth must, as a matter of necessity, derive from what you are able to produce today. And, and that's just my take on that. And, but then from a shipping industry, um, I'm waiting for one day, sir, where you're not going to need ships. Because that is the day that you're going to shut the whole world down. 
So for as long as you have humanity, you are all going to need shipping, unless every country produces and con- everything that it consumes, which we know that it, that is not the case. Mm. Um, and Ravi, do you find did you find that with your um, conference in the last two days, with the summits in the last two days, that um, there was enough engagement to try and come up with solutions? I think there were a number of uh, good proposals, and I think there was a focus on being relevant for the modern economy. So I think that's a good thing because, you know, you you have to focus on the demand. Where is it going? So you're supplying skills for something that is going to happen or is happening. So So I think there was a focus on that. So, for example, from what we are talking about now that things change, and we don't know as we search exactly how it's going to change. We are predicting or we are working with the big changes, like we need so many engineers or technical skills because we have a gap. We, yes, but obviously that's what we can do at this level. But other things will happen in the future you don't really know. So the focus then would be on lifelong learning. Lifelong learning is pretty much what we've been talking about now is how you build that in to the skills and education system. So I think a lot of the discussions that happened were really about how you take all of these things, whether it's, whether it's maritime or pharmaceuticals or uh, infrastructure in general, and how you build in lifelong learning components into those. So I think that was, that was quite useful. Um, I, I thought what also came through in the summit were discussions around um, just, uh, for example, what to do with uh, fees must fall and university institutions. So the institutions that are meant to also be applying their mind and thinking about this. How do we ensure they are stable enough and yes. have the ability to think these, these, things, things, these things through without being distracted? Because that's really their, their job. And um, so I thought, I thought there was a very good discussion on all of those okay. things. Um, so, Bandu your take on the discussions that were taking place, were you, um, were you happy with what was going on there? Yes, um, with, from, from a maritime sector skills point of view, we are in implementation mode. And um, the bulk of the uh, blockages that were identified um, have been removed or are in the process of being removed. And in the cases where it is rather long term, there's a, an interim plan that's been developed. And maybe thanks to one or maybe two things that happened. Just as we were concluding the work, then Operation Pakisa for the Maritime Economy was announced by the President. And so we took all those blockages into Operation Pakisa. And then everything yes. that uh, we, we thought was the blockage, then we had an interministerial committee. And we've got one particular one led by Minister Monday. Yes. That incorporates the Ministry of Defense and uh, Environmental Affairs, Transport, um, Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries. Um, I can't remember which other minister. All right. But then all the ministers that are engaged in one aspect, we are able to get them into the room. And um, you are able to find very quick solutions because where we officials yes. um, start flickering and uh, we, we get to, to find uh, quick resolutions like that. And from that point of view, then I'm quite, quite happy as to where we are now. And All in right, fact, right. I might just say that when we said the industry needs to grow yes. in order for us to create these jobs, we've seen um, new ships being registered now. With our in, I'm in Port Elizabeth, one company is 
starting an offshore ship-to-ship bunkering station. All right, so one duty traffic. I'm going to have to yeah. leave it there with you. David Mabusela, last words for 10 seconds. What, what I would say is that we we are deeply involved in skills revolution, especially with regards to intermediate skills. I'm relating to skills that are actually needed to actually resuscitate the economy. Some other skills, for example, high-level skills, they cannot really be there. They cannot resuscitate the economy if the mid-level skills are not there. This is actually related to the youth out there that is unemployed. You need to link the skills demand with them, the TVET colleges, the employer. Everybody must actually realize this. And once we are able to gather momentum at mid-level skills, the higher levels of economic development are just going to fit in. David Mabusela. All right. Um, thank you very much. So you say we need to resuscitate mid-level skills. Thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. That is Mr. Ravi Naidu, who is in studio, um, and Mr. Sobandu Tilai, who is joining us on the line, and Mr. David Mabusela from the Department of Higher Education. Thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. Okay. Thank you Thanks very much. much. All right. It's time for your economic news with Wissani Matebula. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good morning, I'm Wisani Matebuda with your economics news. Migration, climate change and what has been called green industrialization are just some of the issues topping the agenda when African economic and finance ministers gather in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia from Thursday. The conference is part of the wider event for the first African Development Week organized by the UN for Economic Commission for Africa. But we'll go back to that story. The first story is about sugar conference underway in Maputo, Mozambique, expected to clear the uncertainty on the future of gold of global exports of sugar by Southern countries. Next year marks the end of the contract between Africa and European countries. Abongile Dumako reports. The conference will review progress made during the course of the contract between Africa and European countries. New technology will be the key focal area in a bid to attract more international business opportunities within the sugar industry. And the recent drought that hit many countries in Africa continues to be a huge concern for sugar producers as fears of a decreased production continue to be on the rise. 
And then back to our story, migration, climate change, and what has been called green industrialization are just some of the issues topping the agenda when African economic and finance ministers gather in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, from Thursday. Carlos Lopez is with the UN Economic Commission for Africa and explains. There was a sentiment that over the years we have been improving in the quality of the knowledge sharing platform that has been associated with the Conference of Ministers. And it was no longer just a statutory meeting. It was much more than that. It was the rendezvous, the meeting point for people to come and discuss about Africa's future from this perspective of economics, finance, development, planning. And last year we got about 2,000 participants. Uh, 65 ministers came. Heads of state are now gracing the occasion with uh, their presence. And we now call it Africa Development Week. The South African Broadcasting Corporation's Chief Operations Officer, Saudi Musweneng, has called on BRICS member states to invest in each other's economies to facilitate growth. He was a keynote speaker at the opening of the Frames Media Convention in Mumbai, India. Musweneng has challenged the conference to support the media from developing nations. He and other speakers also highlighted the need to rethink their content licensing deals. Musweneng says the aim of the conference is to move South African media structures to a digitized state. In South Africa, as I'm speaking to you now, we still need to digitize our content, our old content. I think India, they can assist South Africa to digitize our content. We are here for that. I'm not here to speak English and play with the weight. I'm the man who believes in implementation because it is nice to have this conference, but the test is can we implement the outcome of the conference? Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari has advised the South Sudanese government to invest more in agriculture and not to depend solely on oil revenues to grow the nation's economy. Buhari gave the advice while receiving the outgoing South Sudanese ambassador to Nigeria, Market Riak, at the State House in Abuja. Buhari says South Sudan could avoid the mistake made by Nigeria in the country's over-reliance on oil revenue. He told the outgoing envoy that Nigeria's economy, which has been heavily dependent on oil over the years, has been adversely affected by the drop in global prices. To Zimbabwe now, where the indigenization program has remained a millstone around the neck of the country's economy while moves to close down non-compliant foreign firms are uninformed. That's according to a lobby group by Zimbabwe Pressure. Foreign firms in the country, which is battling for liquidity to boost its economy, are scrambling to meet a March 31st deadline to submit empowerment plans. And now a look at your financial indicators. The US dollar trading at 15.03 South African rands at uh, 10.93 Botswana Pula and 11.22 against the Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.69 to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,227 and platinum going down to $964 a finance Brent crude oil $38.96 per barrel. And that's how it's looking. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite.
my name is super hot sticks mabuse a south african musician and an african artist for that matter you are listening to channel africa the voice of the african renaissance pambi My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya. And you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I love And it's time for sports news. Here's Tammy. In our sport, let's start with cricket, where England batsman Jason Roy is delighted to reach the final of the World T20 competition by beating New Zealand, whose captain, Kane Williamson, praises his opponent for their bowling as well as batting. New Zealand skipper Kane Williamson said that his team were 22-25 runs short when they slipped to a seven-wicket defeat in Tuesday's night's World T20 semi-finals against England. The Kiwis went into the match as favourite as they only remain unbeaten team in the tournament. England, by contrast, were defeated by West Indies in their opening game before securing wins over South Africa, Afghanistan and Sri Lanka. Yeah, I think they played very, very well. Um, and we weren't quite at our best, um, saying that we still pushed them. We were able to put a little bit of pressure on them um, with our bowling effort. But, um, look, we were a few few short. So um, credit to England. They, they played outstandingly to restrict us um, to 150-odd on that surface. was a, a very good effort by their bowlers, and um, they certainly played nicely with the bat. So it was a, a very good all-round game by them um, and good momentum for, for England going into the final. And in football, South Africa's Bafana Bafana head coach Ephraim Sheikhs Mashaba has started the blame game, blaming the lack of quality strikers or finishers on the Premier Soccer League clubs and the grassroots problem in the country. This followed the team's goalless draw against Cameroon at the Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban on Tuesday night, a result that virtually rules them out of the qualifiers for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations tournament in Gabon, finding themselves five points behind lock leaders Cameroon with only two games to go. Mashaba is not only on the blame game, but also with an element of arrogance. It is most unfortunate that uh, when the national team didn't win, the blames come to the national team. The problem of scoring goals doesn't start here. Almost all coaches in the PSL, you'll hear them after not winning a game, they tell you, hey, the problem of scoring goals, it's always haunting us. And finally, in boxing, Philippian boxer Manny Pacquiao has helped to make headlines for the sport of boxing over his long and illustrious career, a career that uh, the eight-time world champion says will end after his upcoming fight with Tim Bradley. This is the third fight between the two men, having split the previous two decisions. I'm expecting that uh, uh, more aggressive Bradley uh, because of uh, his uh, new trainer, uh, TD Atlas. And, uh, we saw that in his last fight, and, and more aggressive. So I, I believe that we can create more action in the ring than compared to the last two fights that we had. 
And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Right, thank you very much for joining us right here on African Dialogue and Benjamin Mushatama will be back with you and African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're welcome to interact with us via Twitter, Channel Africa 1 on Twitter, that's Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. You can also SMS us your views plus 27823325905. If you want to email us, it's info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za We leave you with Busi and have a K. Easy to laugh from Miss Pomela Lezondi. Bye-bye.